This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. The Weekly Wrap is the week in news and what's coming up. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. In Weekly Wrap this week, Claire, the outage that stopped the nation. Wasn't that something? It sure was. There's some updates to some other big stories to get you across also. Uh, And the innings that trump the cup. That trump the cup. We are writing headlines today, aren't we? These are headlines. (laughs) Maxwell, we're talking about Glenn Maxwell, of course. We also pick up where we left off on Albanese's overseas tour, plus the latest from Israel and Gaza. And you're getting into a bit of Barbara Streisand, Claire. Love a bit of Babs. Let's do it. Starting the podcast today, noting the date. It's the 11th of the 11th. It's Remembrance Day. At 11am on the 11th day of the 11th month, we remember those who died and suffered in all wars and armed conflicts. It's at that time each year because it's when the guns fell silent on the Western Front of Europe in 1918 after four years of continuous war. Yeah, World War One mobilised over 70 million people between 9 and 13 million died and as many as one third of these with no grave it's hard to fathom and important to remember yeah and the scale of it and the change that happened as a result of world war one is something that i was quite fascinated with it led me to study it at university it was one of my majors Mm. about 40 percent of australian men who were aged under 45 went to the war they left australia and went yeah um we were only just a nation as well. 1901 Federation, yeah. of course. Yeah. So it changed us and the world profoundly. Uh, I reckon one of the best things I've ever done is go to the Menin Gate, which is in Belgium, on Remembrance Day. It's a memorial to the missing. So all of those British and Empire troops, as they were known then, uh, all those soldiers whose remains were never found. There's about 54,000 names on that gate. It's just extraordinary to see. When did you go there? I was just finishing up uni, so it was 1996. Yeah, right. Yeah. A little while ago now. (laughs) Of course, as you said, Remembrance Day is about remembering the loss of Australian lives from all wars and conflicts since that time. Claire, lest we forget. To the biggest news story this week, hard to beat something that affects 10 million customers directly and many more indirectly. I don't think anyone really got off scot-free on Wednesday. If you're a customer, of course, you were so very directly impacted. But even if you weren't, chances were you were trying to reach someone who was on the Optus network or buy your coffee from a business that connects to its payment systems. Well, I saw the news and I really wanted a coffee. Yeah. And I made sure I grabbed cash because I was like, yeah. well, my coffee shop, I don't know what they use. They might use Optus. I mean, the, probably my coffee is not the most important <laughs> part of this story, but you know, yeah, it did it, affect everyone. It really did. Yeah. And look, there were huge issues for if you couldn't use a smartphone or internet or landline. Uh, then you got into large organisations that run on the Optus system. Um, Melbourne's train network was one of the first that was forced to shut down. It only did that for about 30 minutes. They switched to another network, but it had flow-on effects all morning. Uh, It was a bit of a canary in the mine, and I'm going to get into that in a little bit. She's got her cheeky face on. (laughs) (laughs) Hospitals and emergency services across the country were also affected. Ramsey Healthcare, which is our biggest private hospital network, was affected, as were heaps of public hospitals. Victorian and South Australian governments, Claire, have 
big contracts with Optus, they're now under review. Yeah, and big call centres went down. Um, Lots of them are reviewing their business plans as well as a result of it. Um, One of the most concerning things, I think, for Optus customers was that they weren't able to dial triple zero, of course, our emergency network, even in that SOS mode. Um, The deal is that your phone provider, if it goes down, should be able to switch to another network for those emergency calls um, that it's picked up by another provider. So that's a real concern. Yeah, that was sort of the main headline out of the morning, but plenty more to come. You're a former director of communications for a big company. When we're talking about communications, we're talking about how a company then talks to the public, the media, all the stakeholders involved about an event like this. Yeah. And look, fascinating for people like me who love the intricacies of how these things unfold. You never really know exactly what has happened unless you're on the inside of things. It's very easy to look in from the outside and go, oh my God, how did that happen? But unless you're there, it's very hard to tell exactly what did go down. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall watching all of those communications go backwards and forwards. You're as close as to it, given (laughs) given your observation of the morning. So talk us through it. Yeah. So I was up really early on Wednesday morning squizzing. I was starting at 4am. What I do is at 4.30 or so I get off the internet and turn on the TV and actually see. <laughs> what do you mean see, you get off the internet? Well, just scrolling web pages okay, and news sites and all. That's the first <laughs> section of the morning. The next section of the morning is to actually see news bulletins come in yeah. and see how a, a broadcaster is actually dealing with the information because um, they're very well tapped in. So uh, I turn on usually to Channel 7 to 5.30am bulletin on Channel 7. Jody Spears, who I think is excellent, has a bulletin there. Hi, Jodie, if you're listening. listening. (laughs) I hope you are. You are too. And look, what she talked about was this commuter chaos with the Mm. Melbourne train network. That was the story as far as it was concerned, really up until about 5.30, that Melbourne was going to be a transport chaos centre, that it was going to be a real disaster. So it wasn't till what, 5.40 a.m.? It was confirmed it was more than a train issue. This was an Optus issue. By the Melbourne train network. So they were the ones who said there's an issue with Optus. We run on Optus. Mm-hmm. Optus has gone down, so we've switched. So jumped on the Optus webpage, there was nothing. Mm-hmm. Jumped on the Optus Twitter page, there was nothing. Looked through some other social media sites. Really up until 6 o'clock, which is when we publish, yeah. there was nothing. From it was them. extraordinary. Yeah. And you might be thinking, well, if it was down, how would they publish? But there should be oh, systems yeah. for this. Absolutely. Backup systems. Yeah. For, you would think so. I mean, I think that they would still be able to communicate something about what was going on. Yeah, exactly. You need those contingencies. Um, what it really, you could see already, even by six o'clock, those newsrooms were churning going, we've asked Optus for a response about what's going on. We haven't heard anything. Mm. And that became the story. What's going yep. on? Why isn't Optus replying? So by about 7.30, a bit before 8 o'clock, they finally got a note out saying, we know our system is impacted. But it wasn't until really about 10 o'clock that the Optus CEO, Kelly Bayer-Roseman, got out and said, there's an issue. What she has said in reflection we didn't really know the answer and I didn't want to go out and say we don't know the answer because that's not very satisfying. So putting your strategic hat on, thoughts? Really difficult issue when the story is how you've communicated. It should have been about the thing, even saying we don't know what it is, but gee, we're trying hard to resolve it. And and then, I mean, I guess that the thing 
about that is that if people don't have the information to then pass it on to customers or to pass on to stakeholders, to pass on to people involved in their business, it's just chaotic. It's confusion. Oh, and even stories of people, you know, at the really terrible end of, of the scale saying, my mother was very ill in hospital. The hospital had said the night before on Tuesday night, just be near your phone. We'll let mm. you know if something happens. Um, of course, they're not getting anything from Optus saying that there's an issue. Um, one woman I saw on the news, her mother actually died mm. and she didn't have any way to get in touch with the hospital to say, Optus is down. Can you come at me from a different direction if you need to get hold of me? Yeah. So these things really impact people's lives. At a corporate level, you can already see the business commentators in the financial review and the Australian and plenty elsewhere um, talking about why weren't you prepared for this given the hack that, that was happened last year. last year, yeah. What usually happens is that after a big event like that, you run through all of your contingencies, your communications plans, your executive plans, emergency contacts to get the team together when something badly goes wrong. The board demands that. So the board actually really demands that you do the things that you have to do so that big disasters don't happen again. Given a big disaster happened to them last year, the question is why they weren't better prepared this time. In defence of Optus, I mean, what a disaster. Mm. Like, I mean, it, oh, it, all round. All round. Um, and, and I mean, I, I guess we're, we're not trying to pick sides here, but in defense of Optus, like they've said now, we really don't know what happened. We're really trying to figure it out and we're trying to do our best to, you know, make good. Well, they've pinpointed what they say happened. They mm. know what happened now. It's just very difficult to communicate yeah. because it's about routers and it's about system upgrades. It's about redundancies <laughs> and that, fallbacks. That, and yeah, that I don't are hard know to what explain. that means. Yeah. Really, really hard. That's not an excuse for them though. They have 10 million people. They're an integral part of how we, how operate, we operate as a nation. Mm. Um, that's really the point that Minister Michelle Rowland was making. How can this happen? And seeing her step into the void to try and explain what was happening was just extraordinary. This will go on and on and on. Another very bad news story for Optus. So Optus was obviously a very big news story this week. There were three other very big news stories that we will cover off now in this segment. It gets heavy. So let's keep it light to start. The data doesn't lie when it told us the second biggest news story this week was Glenn Maxwell's innings, Claire. Even if you don't do cricket or sport, it's something to know about. It was bigger than the Melbourne Cup. Oh, in Cup Week. <laughs> <laughs> it was very big, wasn't it? And look, it's very difficult to knock the race that stops the nation off the front pages. But Glenn yeah. Maxwell really did that. Um, just explain. Exactly well, I wish, what that's well, about. first of all, I wish I was awake for it. Yeah. As, and if you're usually awake at this time, this was come my on. Wednesday morning. So I was seeing, <laughs> I was tracking Glenn Maxwell and what had happened and trying to get across. And opt- it was a big Wednesday morning. It was a big I tell Wednesday you. morning. It's being called the best innings in ODI cricket ever. That's one day cricket. Internationals. One yep. day international cricket. He scored 201 runs. Of 128 balls, let the maths of that sink in because if you understand cricket, <laughs> that's a lot of fours and sixes basically. Well, and he was injured. Well, this is the point. He yeah. wasn't out either. He didn't get out. Yeah. Um, we won the match. He was in a lot of pain. So I guess what we want to say to people is if you haven't seen this, I'll put a link to see him literally writhing with cramps on the ground mid-innings. It truly was quite something. And the other layer to that, of course, is he's such a character. Yeah. He missed the game before because he was out playing golf with his 
team buddies and he fell off the golf cart and sustained a concussion. <laughs> That's not so funny, but he's quite a larrikin, this guy. He's a larrikin. There's also um, a link to an article by Peter Layla, who's a, a um, you know a prolific mm. cricket reporter. He gives a bit of context to Maxwell and who he is, as you say, like an old school larrikin of the game. Uh, and this is really quite something Outside of sport, this is a moment in Aussie history that's worth getting across. Yeah, I love that line from that Layla piece calling Maxwell's life a chaotic cartoon strip. Really good way of putting it. Um, whilst we're here, Meg Lanning, the captain of the Aussie women's cricket team, has retired from international cricket. She's such a legend. Yeah, and look, with the focus on women's sport, particularly after the Matildas, it's really good to know who Meg Lanning is if you haven't clocked her. Oh. She's, She's an great. absolute legend. She played for Australia for 13 years. She's – I've always really liked her. I think she was my Slack um, avatar for yeah, a while. Yeah, she was actually, um, yeah. She's just low-key, humble, great leader. Yeah, and she has just got on with leading what they call one of the greatest sporting teams in the world, mm. not female sporting teams and not cricket teams like – teams yeah, in the exactly. world. The yeah. success that they've had under her leadership really is amazing. Um, she's not out of cricket altogether quite yet, but what she's she's chucked a body, I reckon. Chucked a body. So what she said was she's not the sort of person who can be half in, half out with anything. Her heart isn't 100% in it anymore. So she's done. Good for her. Something else we foreshadowed heavily last week, Claire, was Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's trip to China. He headed to the Cook Islands for the Pacific Islands Forum. Where do we start with that? We're recording this Friday morning. It's still an ongoing meeting. Um, but, you know, most of it's done and dusted. Yeah, well, let's start with the China trip. Oh, I you guess. want to talk about that too? Yeah. Okay, let's go back. <laughs> we'll just recap on that. Okay. Because we talked about that quite a bit last week. Mm. Um, the consensus view is that the trip was a success, that big breakthrough announcement is that there's going to be an annual dialogue between the leaders. That was something that was restored. Mm -hmm. It was dropped, of course, in our troubled period. Um, the experts say that that is hugely significant. The experts say. Yes. Okay, got it. If the experts say that, then exactly. we'll go with it. And it must be. And, I mean, like, we talked about tariffs. Um, if anyone was expecting tariffs to be dropped and everything made good, done and dusted, that didn't happen. What the talks resulted in was an agreement to have more talks. This often <laughs> happens, doesn't it? They go and chat and then they say, let's chat again. Yeah, but there's been such a period of no talks. That's so exactly. having yeah. regular talks. I mean, in the Morrison government days, the ministers couldn't even get a return phone call. Yeah, so. when we were trying to contact China. And, yeah. <laughs> No, so no. it is. Beep, beep, it is a big. Yeah. It's a big thing. The other thing we talked about last week, of course, was the expectation that China was going to use the trip for propaganda purposes. That absolutely happened uh, across the main state media outlets. Big pictures of Albanese and she blazoned across the front pages. Handsome boy. Handsome boy. Oh, wow. Where do you even start with that? <laughs> I don't Can't I, even unpick it. I don't even know. <laughs> We're not done for big international relations events, though, as I said, PIF, so this Pacific Islands Forum meeting wrapped up this week. So Albanese flew from China to the Cook Islands on Tuesday night. There's footage of him at a meeting on Wednesday and he looks absolutely cool. I saw him talking this week and I went, he looks pretty tired. You would be. <laughs> you would be. Yeah. Exactly. It's a gruelling roster. Um, you get your own plane and there's some nice things about that. But, yeah, gee, he's been under the pump mm. with all of these very big meetings and you've got absolutely no bandwidth to stuff it up. Yeah, so, no excuses. Like, no. I mean, you're the Prime Minister, exactly. you got to just do it. Yeah. It did make me giggle though. Part of the Pacific Islands Forum meetings is with his colleagues on a boat 
chugging around a lagoon. They're on their own. They don't have any advisors with them. The idea (laughs) is that they spend time together without any distractions. Um, If you're like me and the idea of going for a cruise. Like being stuck on a boat with people you might not want to chat to. I'm not on it. (laughs) Um, The discussion point around all of that was, of course, climate change. The Pacific Islands are some of the most affected by climate change and rising sea levels. That's already happening, will continue to happen. So when they look at what action that could be taken in the region, they point to Australia as an emitter, a miner of resources. For our part, Albanese is resisting Pacific calls to reduce or phase out coal exports. So that was the topic of conversation. He says, he won't increase our next emissions reduction target. Yeah, he's only going to set targets, he says, based on what's achievable. Um, What Australia will do, though, is put some money towards a couple of climate funds. Uh, We're doing that to try and shore up the Pacific Islands support for our bid to co-host this COP31 conference. That's the big United Nations annual conference. We want to host that in 2026. 2026 is our bid. Yeah. The other news story we haven't mentioned is the latest out of Israel and Gaza, Claire. Speaking of prime ministers, our former prime minister, Scott Morrison, was in Israel last weekend. I heard him speaking on the radio this morning, actually, about that trip, about the horrors of what Hamas did, about how calculated the attacks on the Jews were. Across the papers this week, a lot of talk about the rise of anti-Semitism. Yeah, it's such a big topic, um, one that we won't shy away from, but we'll sort of gather ourselves and revisit that, I think, on another episode Mm. because you don't want to just sort of glance over that. Um, This week we saw 100 Holocaust survivors here in Australia pen an open letter to the public, basically asking them to recognise the agenda of Hamas, to condemn it Mm. on that basis that it is targeting Jews um, and they say we cannot let history repeat itself. Yeah, on the ground we've seen Israel agree to put in place four-hour daily humanitarian pauses on their attacks. So that means civilians in the area under attack will be given at least three hours in advance every day before the pause. Israel has also said it will open up a second corridor for civilians to flee. Yeah, of course they're very much targeting that northern area. There were, they thought, hundreds of thousands of people still there when they started that about 10 days ago. So the pictures of people fleeing that mm. part is just, yeah, an incredible thing. You can see them on those new sites. Yeah, these pauses, of course, have already been happening, but this seems to sort of formalise it somewhat. This announcement was actually made by the White House and just again reinforcing um, from the US their commitment to trying to negotiate the release of those hostages. Coming up this week, Claire, we've talked sport. Parliament is back, both houses. And to continue on global politics, more trips for Albanese. This week coming up ends with another very big meeting, perhaps the biggest. Mm. We mentioned the APEC Summit last week. That's a 20-odd member organisation, the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation. China and the US are both members and Chinese President Xi Jinping is travelling to San Francisco to that meeting. He'll catch up with Joe Biden one-on-one. So they say. So Albanese and she having their meeting will be so two weeks ago by the time we get to the Biden-she meeting. Totally. Because, of course, that's just such a huge thing. So lots to see there. Um, Remember that they met on the sidelines in Bali. Um, The mood was pretty combative at that time. So we'll see 
how things have moved on. We'll see. What seems to have shifted since last year is that Xi is on a bit of a charm offensive and that's sort of what we're referring to around this propaganda machine. It's in overdrive. It's about domestic politics for Biden, of course, too. So how Biden's reception towards Xi is interpreted by American voters, for example, will be noted. Sure will, because we're heading into an election cycle <laughs> we at that are. end of things, and it looks like it's going to be against Donald Trump, who had very strong views on these things. So it'll be super interesting to see exactly how Biden does frame all of that. Yeah. Um, another big thing at APEC, of course, other nations are there. Albanese is going along. It's the end of the summit season. Is it? Are we done? <laughs> I don't think there's much more room to move. No, I think because we're, we're into December, basically. Yeah. Um, can we also point out mm. in what's coming up that Bluey will be released as a video game next week? That's really exciting. It's exciting for a lot of people. I don't really do video games, but for those who know what I'm talking about, and there's a huge portion of the population who does, the promotional material says, embrace your inner Bluey with mini games seen in the shows such as Keepy Uppy and Magic Xylophone Claire. So good. You don't know what I'm talking about. No, I do. You? I love Keepy Uppy. Oh, no, no, no. I've watched Bluey. Bluey's genius. This is the thing. And look, if you're like me, you know, with our kids and you haven't watched Bluey, you really should. It's so good. <laughs> We've raved about it a yeah, few times. Love it. Claire, we've discussed on the podcast before whether or not preparing a salad counts as cooking. Yeah, we have. We have discussed that before. <laughs> I'm of the firm belief that it does count. And in fact, one of my go-to salads is with pearl, couscous and raisins. Love it as a summary option. And it's what our podcast partner, Sunbeam Foods, is recommending this week. So pearl, couscous and raisins, mm-hmm. uh, you put figs, apricots, some parsley, some lemon, I reckon that would go really well with some lamb. Definitely good with some lamb, even some chicken with your Christmas ham. Whatever it comes with, it'll be a winner. And, of course, plenty of those ingredients can be found under the Sunbeam or Angus Park brands in the baking aisle of your supermarket. I'll pop a link to that recipe in your episode notes. Squiz recommends that Glenn Maxwell footage, if you haven't seen it, is my recommendation. I also enjoyed a read in The Guardian this week on the benefits of talking to strangers. Claire, are you the kind of person who will strike up a conversation with a stranger, like your barista or in the park? Yes, and I do it on a daily basis. I think you are. I've seen you do it. You are that kind of person. Apparently, it adds to your happiness. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a really good thing to do. So obviously close personal relationships are important, but studies have found that if you're the kind of person that interacts with strangers, it's a really good thing. And I can say, as someone who spent a lot of time in playgrounds with little kids, when you go there and then you find an adult to have a little bit of small talk with, it's really, you feel better. You At the really dog park, good. it's a similar dog kind park, of experience. Thing, yeah. I have a whole cluster of dog park friends, yeah. which like I don't know their names. Yeah. I know their dog's names. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. Is it the same with kids? It's the same with kids. Yeah, it's you exactly. don't know the adult's name no, but you know I the do. kid's name. Yeah, yeah there exactly. you go. Okay. Well, it's a, re- it's a really beautiful read. I'll pop that in your episode notes. And quickly talk to us about Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand has her memoir out. It's out this week. I'm absolutely going to be reading that because she is such an icon and I don't think I know enough about her life. What I do know is that she is the second biggest all-time singing performer, uh, female singing performer behind Madonna. Yeah, she's incredible. But her career, of course, she's won Oscars. She's won Emmys. She's won Tonys. um, She's won a ton of Grammys. She is just an absolute weapon. That is a suggestion from us. We haven't read it though yet, but what we will recommend is an interview she did with Vanity Fair ahead of that memoir being released. I like the journalist asking her why she waited till she was 80 
81, 82, to, mm. to write her memoir. Mm. She said, frankly, I thought at 42 when she was initially asked to write one that she was too young, she had much more work still to come. The journalist then writes, she wasn't wrong, but for those keeping score, she had already won a Tony, two Oscars, one Emmy and seven Grammys. <laughs> so, but it's just, a, I mean, an insight into, oh. you know, what she wanted to do with her life and how much she wanted to do. And how she did it. And how she did it. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Squeeze the Press this week. We have been recording the How Far We've Come series, Claire. It's on education. It's season two of that series supported by NGS Super. A lot of education-related news this week. We had teacher strikes in South Australia. Queensland announced a trial of a four-day week for schools. That was pretty big news, front yep. page of the Courier Mail, and I'm sure lots of opinions about that. Education is a hot topic, and this series has three episodes for you to listen to, which jumps through the history of education here in Australia. Kate, I was probably like some others in the team thinking, how are we going to get six episodes out on education, and is that going to be too dry? Is it going to be interesting enough? It's so interesting. It's so interesting, and it's so affects every part of public policy and how we how we are as a nation yeah. and what we believe and all of the structures around that are, are really worth knowing about. The episodes are about 12 minutes. Um, as I said, three of them are out, three more to come. They're in this feed. Just scroll through and you'll find them. Give them a listen. Have a great week. We'll be back next week. <laughs> 